You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 177 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Today, we are heading to Hampshire to meet sheep farmer, contractor and consultant James Edwards from JJ Livestock Solutions. Now, I say Hampshire, but James also has land and sheep um, in various locations currently, including West Berkshire, Lincolnshire and Wales. Um, But he is on the road a lot as we will see today, and uh, yeah, is is always looking for new land, um, and sometimes uh, his land changes, as you will see today as well. Um, so yeah, he spends a lot of time on the roads. Um, all his sheep uh, are run on temporary grazing licenses and various grasslets, arable, uh, cover crop ground, um, on anything um, between, he tells me, he told me before, anything between about a 1,000 acres and 4,000 acres, um, depending on yeah what's available. In any given year he also owns four acres in wales which is where his farming journey began uh, james grew up in wales he went to uni in edinburgh and he even ran a record label for a bit i was this this guy's done a lot which um th- this could be quite a long episode just 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 saying uh, recently he won the gold award for the new entry category at the british farming awards james welcome to meet the farmers thank you for coming hello on. hello, hello. Um, can, can we start with British Farming Awards? Take me back to that night. What was it like for you? Yeah, that was a bizarre. It's quite a strange experience. So <laughs> I've never been nominated for anything, let alone won anything in my life. Um, and so well, it was 100% now. It was amazing to get nominated. Like that was really, really cool. And excited to go along tonight and didn't think in a million years we'd ever win it. Um, so went along and, of course, the... Um, the category for new entrant, I think it's one of the last categories called. Yeah. So yeah. I, there are a lot of categories. There are a lot of categories, which unfortunately yeah. means I drank a lot of gin and tonics. <laughs> um, so I was sat at the back. We were like the back corner. I was there with a friend of mine who agreed to come and chaperone me, uh, a girl called Nina, who was was brilliant, sort of came and looked after me. And uh, so we went there, sat sat down, lovely chatting to people, having a drink, having some food, blah, 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 went through. And then it eventually gets to the final category, or I think it was the final last but one category, which is New Engine Award. And it's sort of, New Engine Award, James Edwards, JJ Life's Solutions. <laughs> and my friend just looked at me and just started laughing. And I was like, uh, sort of, uh, better like, go up now. Absolute, absolute panic. Like, did not, didn't, I just, there was no, like, I, yeah, I didn't. So I sort of stumbled up smiled really broadly thing, <laughs> shook someone's hand and then sort of fell off the stage um <laughs> which is great which is great but then they immediately whisked me away to a uh, an interview which okay. i think they they never they never showed for 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 obvious <laughs> reasons and they pulled me into a little room and sort of asked some very serious questions like yeah. you know so what so what you know what inspired you to get into sheep farming and i think my answer was i really like dogs <laughs> um, <laughs> and sheep and, and sheep i really yeah. like sheep and it was just like, yeah, so it, it, it was it was an awesome night, but it was a complete like a surprise. Yeah. Um, was, I mean, what was the judging process like? Did, did you sort of know about anything before? So the judging the process was no. So the judging process is brilliant. So obviously, like someone nominated me and then we had to send a load of stuff in. So we had to send like financials. So financial report like records the last few years and all sorts of stuff like that in. Um, and then we had. So this is my second ever zoom call because the first one was the judging panel right. um, and i had right. just as much difficulty trying to get get them to be able to hear me or see me um yeah i should just say listen we've spent this for probably about half an hour just on, on various yeah. mobiles laptops <laughs> we've got there though we've got there we the did end. so so yes yeah, so it's brilliant so um there was sort of you know i think four different people um including the, the winner from last year tom and yeah. then a truly amazing guy who was the uh, guy from the Henry Plum Foundation. Okay. His name escapes me. Awesome people. And they just asked loads of questions and then we laughed a lot. <laughs> um, and at the end of the, at the end of the kind of like the interview, I thought, well, at least they thought I was funny. Um, <laughs> exactly. It lo- I, that's a good thing for life generally, I think. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I, I thought I, I saw the other people kind of nominated 
and there were some really good people and I just thought like cool to be nominated but you know we won't, won't win won't win and then yeah I had no idea whatsoever until on the night that happened <laughs> and then was like <laughs> big shell shots it was like I was really pleased and I was kind of obviously really proud to win um but also uh my long-suffering parents who over the last sort of decade and a bit of me me sheep farming yeah. I don't think initially my mother thought this was the wisest of career choices um <laughs> she probably thought I could I should have been a lawyer or a you know something something kind of um yeah. well judging by your background I mean, you really could have gone in many different directions yeah which, which, yeah which, which we'll go in I, I was going to talk about your sort of early life first of all but actually I think it's probably a good idea for the listeners I mean a, a lot of the a lot of people listening I think will probably know you through Instagram but if anyone who doesn't know, just just give us an idea of your business and sort of what you do day to day at the moment. So yeah, so we so um, I am effectively a first generation, almost first generation sheep farmer, um, and we run um, a maternal flock of. It was about twelve hundred ewes. We've just sold a couple of hundred, so we're down to about a thousand uh, breeding ewes, which are mostly ex-lana ewes. Um, yep. So a kind of wool shedding maternal composite, and then we also run about. 150 chamois ewes which are a terminal terminal sire um and we sell a lot of breeding stock so females are the ex-lanas and we sell rams out the chamois and we sort of graze temporary grazing all over the place a lot of it would be arable um arable stuff so temporary grass breaks cover crops yep. sort of regenerative stuff and we've been sort of it's very very kind of like popular to use the term regenerative agriculture at the moment but through our kind of links and background with uh king's clear estates that was like i've had a lot of lot to do with the whole kind of regenerative um stuff so so yeah we do a lot of that kind of stuff and yeah we sell fat lambs to abp and we supply a butcher and yeah i also do a load of <laughs> uh contracting for different people so, so I, should, is... I should laugh it's just yeah it's just uh, I, I just it's just insane how busy you are yeah so i do a lot of contracting for like different people um and that involves like uh sort of day stuff so um just we do a lot of tailing in the, in the spring and the summer um and then also through to like more regular things so as i was saying before about the, the kaipoi romney guys yep. so i'm down there every couple of weeks really and then i also when we we have a we always have a lot more winter keep usually uh, this year is a bit different we usually have a lot more winter keep than we do summer keep so we then I buy store lambs and also taking tax sheep to sort of fill that keep. And um, because why would you want to have a quieter winter? Oh, of course. Um, and then I do a bit of consultancy. Um, although at the moment, most of that consultancy seems to involve drinking cups of tea and telling people how they can make more money from their sheep <laughs> um, without me actually managing to get as far as charging them. Um, oh, so that's okay. Something- that's something that I need to work on a right. bit more. Like we do, it, I do, I do do a bit of charge stuff, but a lot of it, unfortunately, I'm too nice. <laughs> so people <laughs> ring me, and then it's like two hours on the phone, and then yeah. So, but um, but that's something that I kind of like looking to develop a bit more. Just anything really involving sheep, sheep, all things yeah. sheep. I think that's, that's a good way sheep. of summarizing what you do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, let, let's go back to some early life stuff. So you grew up in Wales, um, and was a bit of a liking for the outdoors. Um, and I think your dad had some sheep as well. So tell me, tell me about your life growing up and sort of how that yeah. how that love for the outdoors sort of came about. So that's that's why I said almost first generation. So when I was a kid, I grew up in the middle of sort of not nowhere, but fairly rural Monmouthshire, so okay. sort of Abergavenny, Raglan, Monmouth yep. kind of area. Um, so it's very much like sheep farming territory you know it's all sort of family farms you know 100 to 200 300 acres you know not big farms there's no estate there is no arable um it's just sheep and beef really um and it's lovely you know lovely place to grow up and i was always just like mad keen on anything outdoors so i grew up sort of hunting shooting fishing dad had spaniels like springer spaniels used to train and trial springer spaniels so i spent a lot of time on on shoots and round and just in the countryside loved it uh, dad was the same and when I was little little he decided to get a few sheep various like bits of rented grazing around so I think he had about 100 120 ewes just uh, Welsh ewes that he then put to a blue face Leicester and had some Welsh mules and yep. he had a little little flock of rouge which are like a, a, again another French terminal sire rouge okay. de l'ouest 
which are a, a pink-faced, chunky kind of, uh, which is actually quite similar to the chamois that I keep now. So it's kind okay. of a, it's kind of a yeah so so anyway so dad did that and and i just sort of like it was just a hobby for him really and um but it gave me a grounding in like going to market you know yeah. lambing that kind of stuff and i just loved being outside and i always wanted to be i always wanted to be outside wanted to work with animals and was obsessed with dogs so when i was a little kid uh, a welsh sheep farm on the welsh hills seemed like an awesome thing to be yeah um but I didn't have a sheep farm in the Welsh Hills. How, how you become one of those is yeah. a, that's the challenge. A little, little bit difficult. So my 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 parents being very practical were like, well, that's unlikely to happen. So you should probably do something else. Yeah. So then I looked around and the, the, the next coolest thing that I saw were auctioneers. Because they yeah, basically yeah, got yeah. this, yeah, walk on boards, lots of shouting, everyone yeah. looking at them, not Perfect. a clue what they were saying, but it seemed <laughs> fun. So I was like, I'd like to be an auctioneer. And then... Um, cool didn't do that either (laughs) and then was like i'd like to be a vet and then i went and did uh work experience when i was like 16 right at the vets oh yeah by this time so the the sheep had gone so foot and mouth came around obviously we were in a cull area um so the sheep the sheep went so dad didn't have any sheep anymore but it already kind of um sparked an interest and i had friends you know going growing up where i was going to school where i was friends who farmed and stuff so i spent a lot of time on on farms um so yeah i thought i'd be a vet went and did work experience realized that i did not like the people i did not want to deal with mrs jones sick hamster so and i was too short-sighted to think well you can go through this and become a large animal vet so yeah that went by the wayside so i kind of just put all that on the back burner a little bit yeah, and, then, uh, and you somehow ended up at Edinburgh University doing an MA in social anthropology. Yeah, so how did that was, happen? So I was quite good in school, um, despite being distracted most of the time. And a lot of that is credit to my mother, who was a primary school teacher, who okay. um, is one of the nicest women on earth. But I also grew up living slightly in fear of disappointing her. Um, <laughs> so it's like because she was a teacher, and and my parents are kind of academics. So mum's a primary school teacher, dad was a lecturer. So it's just kind of a, it was sort of assumed that you know you go to university yeah you get a degree so i applied for a uni in london edinburgh uh, one in ireland yeah. Cardiff. Yeah. you can see really imaginative i just picked like yeah. various compass points in big cities yeah um, i did a very similar thing actually <laughs> yeah well i'd never been to scotland before like yeah. but it seemed really cool it is amazing. So yeah. I went to edinburgh university and i actually went to edinburgh university to do uh, ancient history all right uh, okay so i really changed. like i really liked history yeah i just like the you know but i like the history that the swords and sandals bit you know what i mean yeah. the cool bits yeah yeah they kind of yeah 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 like you know if i could have been a viking warrior then be you would cool. have been but unfortunately that was about as likely as a sheep farm at the time <laughs> so went to university to do ancient history uh and it, uh, in scotland you do like outside courses so you do like related courses in your first year and one of the right. courses i did was social anthropology and in the social anthropology thing, in my first year, we did loads of stuff on like the Kalahari Bushmen, the um, pygmies in the Aturi Forest in like the okay. Congo and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, I want <laughs> to learn about it. Take me to these places. Yeah, exactly. I want to I, I go, go traveling. And before before uni, I'd done uh, a fair bit of traveling. So my parents are pretty relaxed about right. stuff like that. And my grandfather went to India when he was like 15 before the war and spent his life in India in the second world war. And so had his father and my great aunt. And there's a big kind of family connection with going to the other side of the world and fighting wars. Um, So, but we, I grew up living with my grandfather. So uh, the whole thing about traveling about, I'd always been, you know, I grew up on stories of India and places like that and things. So I'd always wanted to travel. So I'd gone off around Europe um, on my Todd, and seen lots of Europe just backpacking around came back and this all sort of tied in with the anthropology thing went to Edinburgh discovered anthropology thought that was awesome um and also had dinner with somebody once who told me that um J.R. Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings yeah he lectured in anthropology all right and I was like it might not even be true but that's what he told (laughs) me um and that was like well if it's good enough for Tolkien it's good enough for me so I changed to anthropology okay um and I did that and that was awesome. And we did loads of, you know, like loads of really interesting stuff and that was great. And so, yeah, did a, did a degree and a master's in social anthropology, had an amazing time living in Scotland, went out a lot, partied a lot, yep. um, 
ended up putting on uh, basically one night went out and was like, there are no good night outs here. <laughs> there were lots of good night outs, but so you good. made one. So I made one. Yeah. My mate went, we'll put your money where your mouth is. And so we stayed up until like nine o'clock in the morning when the clubs opened, you know, like for business. And we rang and found a club that convinced, we convinced to let us put a club night on. Uh, we'll and see. then we're like, Hmm. So then rang around our friends <laughs> with the DJ and we're like, anyone any good? Um, <laughs> And so started doing that. And then before we knew it, we were like having people come over from the States from like wow. Europe and stuff like that. It was really cool. And awesome. um, ended up running like a monthly club night and then another one and then did a lot of stuff during the Edinburgh Festival and blah, blah, blah. So that was really cool. And then that led to like briefly running a like record label, which seemed like a good idea. But um, I'm a bit of a technological Luddite. So that was really hard work. We, <laughs> We pressed some vinyls. We set them out all over the place. People bought them. It was great. And then eventually my time at Edinburgh ended. Yeah. And then it's back, like, went, I've got to do something else now. Yeah. So I went back overseas. Um, so I went uh, traveling again. And then I ended up back in. So I spent some time in Hungary before. I ended up back in Hungary. Then after that, ended up in Slovakia, in the mountains, in the high Tatras. So like proper, like proper mountains Epic. you know and yeah that was cool so did that and then basically uh two things happened one i met a girl classic story yeah classic um, classic story uh who was british yeah and right. at that point i, I never did, thought did, didn't want to stay in slovakia yeah never thought i was coming back to the uk but then also my grandfather um who i've mentioned earlier on the oh, really that, generally so you, you actually thought that yeah that was that's, it, that's I, it. My, i'm just gonna be yeah. traveling the world and yeah. My plan was, well, I had a degree in anthropology, maths and anthropology, yeah. which kind of tied in quite nicely. Yeah. I was aiming to go so overland, sort of work my way down towards Oz and New Zealand and just sort of like keep flowing around oh. until something came up. I know, I know I shouldn't say this because it didn't happen, but that would have been so cool. <laughs> I know. And there's a little <laughs> bit of me every day that looks in the mirror and thinks like, if I hadn't come back and I just gone, I would now be a cowboy in the northern territories of australia yeah you probably um, would be yeah, yeah. in fact in fact you definitely would be yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's but, what you'll be doing right now it breaks my heart a little bit but anyway anyway i'm <laughs> also my grandfather i was talking about earlier on um was unwell and um basically dying um so i came back to the uk with said girl she went off to finish her degree i think she, she deferred or something that didn't that didn't last that sort of lasted a year or so and then that kind of broke but moved back in at home where my folks were living with my grandfather and sort of spent the last period of his life sort of looking after him um, and spending time with him and he was like one of my heroes just an amazing guy like you know in the 40s late 30s 40s 50s traveled around the world you know India, Burma, the Middle East, all kinds of stuff, you know, through the lens of the sort of British army, but just spoke like a bit of Udu and Punjabi Wow, as a 80 something year old, you know, guy from the Welsh Valleys, just like, yeah. just amazing. Um, I grew up on sort of curry and Indian culture, which is quite strange in rural <laughs> Wales, but <laughs> any, anyway, so I moved back with him uh, and that kind of, that period is what sort of started the farming. So I'd moved back looking after him, living at home uh, in a wooden cabin in my parents' garden that was meant to be like a, uh, like a, like a summer house type thing. <laughs> so I was like cooking on a gas barbecue, you yeah. know, living there. So that was cool. And then got a job working with kids. So counseling children in a high school, a place called Dufferin, which is a really rough is, is a harsh word to use, but it's, it's a pretty, you know, it draws from a load of like community first, like low income areas. And yep. it's, a, it can be pretty, pretty tough school. So I did that for a while and that was cool. Um, but needed to get my countryside fix, my kind of outdoor fix. Yeah. Um, my folks live right next to a, um, a large estate. I say there's no estate around there. There's one, I say large, large for the area. So a thousand acres. Uh, okay. So this, this is the one the gamekeeping stuff came in. Yeah. A thousand acres. Right, okay. um, the family live in a castle. They're awesome people. Um, awesome people. And basically I stopped one day, a man putting a fence up on the side of the road and was like, <laughs> Hey, chatting. and he was like the owner. Turned out. And he was like, do you know anything about pheasants? And I was like, well, I grew up on a lot of shoots, but and he's like, well, we've just got rid of our, we just sacked our gamekeeper. I don't suppose you want to <laughs> do you come want, and help. Do you want to become a gamekeeper? Yeah. Come and help feed the pheasants. And this, it started off. It's just like, 
can you get up in the morning, go around and fill the hoppers and feed the pheasants? So I was like, yeah, yeah cool. Okay, I can do that. Quad bike, got my dog, went out, did that. Yeah, Brilliant. Nice. And then that really, really quickly developed into, and can you do this? And can you do that? And can you come on shoot days? And can you, and so like, before I know it, I'm wearing like tweed breeks, um, <laughs> you know, running, running shoot days on a, on an estate. And um, there'd been a small issue. And we, I think like the first year I was there, I smashed like the 25 year record for like the best season, the best days. Yeah. Um, and just loved working outside with animals, getting the best out of everything. Um, and then the estate had sheep and cattle. Uh, the estate hey. had about 800 breeding ewes and I think 180 to 100 suckler cattle. And there was an awesome guy called David who is um, just like general farm work is the wrong word like the man yeah. digs the man digs graves builds roads okay yeah they've got like a natural burial ground you know does everything just just does things yeah just an amazing guy been there since he was like 15 um and he'd be in his 60s now i think early yeah. 60s but anyway so i basically like you know annoyed him <laughs> and sort of followed him around and just just that's how i kind of learned a bit more about like commercial level kind of farming and then I basically decided I want to do some of my own. So there was a little strip in between. So where you drove into the estate from my folks' house, there was like a four acre-ish strip of brambles by the side of the road. So I kept looking at it and I thought, oh, I'm going to ask. So I found out who owned it. It was yeah. belonged to a local butcher who used to use it to keep, when it was a grass field, to keep a few beasts in before they went to slaughter, blah, blah, yeah. for his butcher shop. Um, when I knocked on his door and he was like, well, I don't use it. It's just a load of bramble with no fences. If you want to use it, you're welcome to use it. I won't mm -hmm. charge with rent, but I will come to sell it one day and then you'll right. just have to get off. And I said, well, if you do sell it, you know, think of me. Ha yeah. ha. <laughs> um, and then. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. And then went to basically was in Hereford Market one day and ended up buying a pig a large saddleback sow with a litter of eight piglets okay. because basically pig prices were on their ass and the people around me were like, well, we'll just, we'll buy them, not the piglets on the head and then just put the sow back, sow back in the cull ring. Yep. So I was like, no, hmm. save the pig um, <laughs> as you do. So I came home with a very large pig and eight <laughs> piglets, um, much, to my, much to my parents. Like they just, what, by this point, what have you done? Yeah, by this point they were starting to get used to used to things a little. I was bit. gonna say, I I but I just say I love the randomness of this story. I think you are you're just one of those examples of someone who yeah, just go with life. Opportunities come, see where it goes. Yeah, that's that's. I unfortunately, when a door opens, I'm really bad at not just like I just can't help myself to step. Where does this go? Like, let's have a look where this goes. I think kind of everything generally happens for a reason and life's got a funny way of sort of guiding you into the stuff you're probably meant to do yeah. and when things don't work out often it's because it probably wasn't kind of meant to yeah um so yes yeah, so i bought the pig came home cobbled together some like dodgy fencing <laughs> had a pig reared some piglets sold some piglets um as like wieners and then like found the few and i was like this pig thing's all right so then went and bought more pigs, um, store pigs, started fanning pigs, putting them in boxes, making sausages, even got as far as AIing my big pig, um, <laughs> which was an amazing, like, so you can imagine like a, a, a sort of a long hair, I didn't have dreadlocks then, long hair bearded man riding around the back of a pig, trying to like insert this tube into her <laughs> while she was not happy in a muddy field, like on the side of the road and people driving by thinking, why, why is there a man doing pig rodeo over there? Um, so, but I managed to get the pig pregnant. So I have fathered a litter of piglets. That's one of my many claims to fame. <laughs> um, so she had those piglets. So I farrowed the pig, which was quite a kind of nerve wracking experience. Um, and probably more nerve wracking than it should be. Cause I kind of, she had, I think she had 11 or something or 12. She had more than she could look after okay. one. And I ended up ball rearing a piglet. So I had a pet, pet piglet, which is brilliant when they're tiny, when they get to be like, quarter of a ton and they want to show how big big pigs are and they want to jump on your lap less so so anyway so had some pigs and then was like pigs aren't really my thing i want some sheep so went up the road and found an old lady who had some paddocks 
and convinced her to let me have some grass. But the only thing she let me have was like a tiny, like half acre paddock with a trampoline in it that the kids, you know, her grandkids went on. So I went and bought, well, I went and bought some ewe lambs. I went and bought a pair of ewe lambs off somebody okay. uh, shedding, shedding ewe lambs. And they sort of threw in the runty bowl reared triplet with it. Yeah. So I was now big in the game. I had some pigs and I had three sheep. So I put the three sheep in this little paddock and, uh, after staring at them repetitively for a few days and thinking, yeah, where do I really go from here with three? Like, I don't like, this isn't really farming <laughs> sheep. I've just got three, three sheep. But, um, I ended up, uh, getting hold of Tim White, who again, you might know the ex Lana guy went and borrowed a chunk of money off the bank, 10 grand. I think I convinced, I think if memory serves me right. I told him it was for a car or for something. It was a personal yeah. bank loan, you know, cause no one's going to land a business. Yeah, no one's going to give a business loan to a... Yeah, just don't you know, don't, don't mention the sheep, no. No, no. So I went to Tim and I bought 100-ish ewes off Tim of various ages. By this point, I'd convinced the lady that she should probably let me have the rest of her paddocks because <laughs> um, they were really nice, these things. Possibly a good idea before, yeah. Unless, yeah, unless she, the sheep like the trampolining, I suppose. But. That's it. So she was she was saying, so did that, bought a ram, uh, had some ewe lambs in there, so bought a couple of chamois rams. So I've kind of, in my own farming, I've always farmed the same thing, really. So we had about 100 Xlana ewes and an Xlana uh, shedding ram and then a couple of chamois ram lambs to go over the ewe lambs. And then the first year... I lambed these sheep outside. I had never lambed my own sheep. Uh, I'd never lambed sheep outside. Um, right. Didn't really know what I was doing. Um, Best way to learn. Luckily, I picked the right sheep. So <laughs> there were like, there were some, there were like, my, my dad will probably like testify to the fact that there were definitely days where I was like, I'm not doing this ever again. <laughs> like, I am never lambing sheep outside again. This is awful. Like after I'd chased one round for like half an hour yep. with a head hanging out, but we got them lambed and actually we had a really good lambing. Um, and, you know, we'd been doing so, so I'd been, I spent, you know, like this, this is over a period of a couple of years or so. So I'd been doing bits for other people and on the estate and stuff. And then I got a little collie pup. So one night on pre-loved after too many beers, I ended up buying a six month, five, six month old collie. Of course. Yeah. Um, I have a house somewhere in the Forest of Dean. Um, <laughs> didn't see the parents. Uh, never saw it around sheep. So all the things that I would probably tell somebody not to do. Um, did. Went, and, went and picked it up, took it around my sheep, and it was mad keen. And so we trained that a bit, um, had some help, and this and the other. And going back, when I, like, getting my sheep in, the guy at the estate, David, I was talking about earlier on, he, he'd lend me his sheepdog. So we sort of, like, we got through it. And... Um, Anyway, so yeah, that 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 worked. So we were farming sheep and a couple of pigs, and then started doing a bit of contracting for other people because you know you've got a dog, you're half useful, like you know you make people laugh a little bit, so they kind of have you along. Do you know what I mean? You don't charge too much. So next thing I know, farming sheep, doing a bit of sheep work, also still working in the school, also still gamekeeping, not sleeping oh, a lot. Oh, you do all that as well, right? Yes, okay. yes, right. yes. Okay. So like it's bad man they're like i probably should admit it but there were definitely days that i went into the school and then went to sleep on top of my desk in my little office so that people <laughs> couldn't see underneath the door to see if i was in there not cool and then like you know i'd have like take i'd work like ridiculous hours to have like time in lieu to then do shoot days and it was just a bit crazy wow um and then basically i went to an ex-lana ram sale in sort of exeter way i think it is um and there was a woman giving a talk there called Catherine Nacliani, who is a sheep consultant. Okay. Um, and she had recently been to look at a large new regenerative agriculture project in Hampshire, uh, a place called King's Clear Estates. With Mr. May. Okay. With Mr. May. And so she'd taken on the contract management of the livestock, but she was in Wales and they needed a shepherd. Right. And so I met her one day on the side Ding. of the M4 exactly bing it's like light bulb moment yeah so i met her on the side of the m4 jumped in the car we went down to see king's clear and you know from someone who's like wants to farm sheep and has been like messing around with it you know a couple of hundred a year or like massive flocks of 800 but running like 200 use here 200 use there went down to king's clear went to see the sheep walk around the corner and i think they had 1700 use at the time in one mob you know mob grazing daily moves and i walked around wow. the corner with my little, little dog and was like 
holy <laughs> shit that's a lot of sheep like that is literally the most sheep i've ever seen in my life let alone in one place so i was like this is cool so within a well i started they didn't have any staff so immediately i started coming down every week for a couple of days staying down there giving them a hand yep. um and within about three weeks i'd quit my job uh pack my shit and move to hampshire um into a house with sort of no i think at the time it had no no carpets, no curtains. It was like they were just okay. like, like doing the house up, like renovating it. So me and my little dog slept in a sleeping bag on the floor and right. um, started sheeping. So that was cool. And then my my sheep stayed at home for a minute. And dad, my there's a theme here, my long-suffering father. He's, he's a good guy, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. They're both, my parents are very good people. But there he started, he was like checking my sheep um, and stuff. So I moved down to Hampshire and yeah, started doing their sheep and basically that first year where i moved down i think it was november november 2015 so we moved down we put the taps in in december to lamb in may sometime after christmas um the lady i was working for stopped answering her phone okay and emails and right. nobody could get a hold of her neither me nor tim okay um so we were like oh <laughs> We've got a lot of pregnant sheep that are going to land. So we got hold of between us, I can't remember, it was Tim and myself. We got hold of um, some students from the RAU. Okay. Um, and I was so lucky because that first year, it was like if Carlsberg made students, then <laughs> it would be. So these guys had come from the northern, they were British, but they'd been over in the northern territories of Australia. Right. On Perfect. a massive cattle station. So it was like big numbers of stock, hard yep. graph. They were just, it was a couple. Um, uh, and they were just Talia and John, and they were just amazing people. So cool. the three of us were like, "We're going to land these sheep. We can do this." Uh, yeah. So no one was doing it at the time. I don't even think at the time I was getting paid anymore because nobody. This woman just disappeared. Um, <laughs> it turned out, unfortunately, she'd had some um, some sort of medical issues and had had to have a kind of bit of a life break. Unfortunately, I didn't know any of this, so I was just like up shit creek without a paddle. Um, so yeah. So first year we land the ewes and yeah we kind of went from there and it was it was i was suddenly thrown into the whole mob grazing daily moves you know big numbers blah 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 and just kind of ran with it um wow. and luckily the estate had two collies that tim had bought which kind of just got given to me so i was running sort of three dogs and yeah we just kind of went from there and it was it was it was great it worked really well and you know we got through lambing and stuff and so sort of tim came to me and said i got to kind of put this out of contract now because that's how I want to do it. I don't yep. want to employ a shepherd. Um, yep. So you've got two options. You know, you kind of, we've got three options, really. You hope that the person who takes the contract, I will take you on, you go somewhere else, or you tender for the contract. Okay. So it was like, well, I'll tender for the contract. Yeah. Then I tended for the contracts. The next thing, I'm like doing the sheep at Kingsclear <laughs> um, in my own right. My sheep, Tim was amazing. He's done, he's an amazing bloke. Like he found me a bit of ground locally so I could bring my sheep down. And yeah, and the rest kind of is history there. So yeah. we sort of did that for about seven, eight years, something like that. And 15, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, about, about, about sort of six, seven years probably. And we did, did that. Um, and we sort of had mules and we went over to Woolshedders eventually and this, that, and the other. And pretty much Tim sort of left me to it with the sheep. So that's it was amazing. So, so, I mean, that was really the beginning of. Uh, I suppose the the start of your business now, and yeah. I, I, sh I should I should say to listeners because it's fascinating knowing everything that Tim's done since then. Scroll all the way back to some really early episodes. I think Tim was probably episode seven or something like that, seven or eight, um, several years back. But Tim is a Tim is a fantastic guy. Um, but, but but anyway, yeah, that regardless, that, yeah. so, the, so the, this this was the seed of, of the beginning of your but business. It was, it, was, yeah, it was, and he's an amazing guy. So I luckily came into Kingsclear when they'd like only had the sheep, you know. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years, and it was all very new, and there was like no infrastructure, and this, that, and the other. And it was, I mean, there was, there was, they built some crowds and stuff, but it wasn't stock fenced. It wasn't so, like, you know, we went through the good times and the bad times. Christmas Day, I had like 3,000 lambs out on Main 339 Road between Basingstoke and Newbury. Like, mm. either side. it was just lots of like difficult stuff, but it was an amazing kind of like proving ground and like learning experience. And I, you know, didn't know anything about arable when I came. And obviously there's a big arable estate and the herbal lays and grass. And, you know, Tim taught me um, nothing about sheep. Um, 
but an awful lot about grass, grazing, yep. arable, um, regenerative agriculture, soil. Like Tim's an amazing soil farmer. Like, mm. you know, and I think he would probably probably call himself that, you know, as opposed yep. to an arable farmer or a sheep farmer or yep. soil farmer. So yeah, so that was awesome. So that was the beginning of my business, really. And then Tim being Tim uh encouraged me to develop my business. And that went through a period then where I got a little bit ahead of myself and we took on contracts to manage a couple of the other local estates that kind of period we had a whole load of staff and we probably had about we went up to about eight thousand ewes spread across the place like other people's sheep mostly um so we kind of i think at most king's clear got up sort of two and a half two seven and i think we had a three thousand odd there at one point we had a couple of thousand ewes at another i probably shouldn't mention another couple of estates and it you know it went well but due to a clash of um personality and ideas um that kind of period led to almost a mental breakdown um wow okay i think yeah it wasn't good like people staff people so we sort of had a little look at the business model pull back to Kingsclear, um and then started doing a lot of like thought basically i could do more of my own sheep um and store lambs and tack use then we started taking on tack sheep um which basically just in case listeners don't know what it is it's mostly people in places where like there's no grass in the winter so like the welsh hills or the romney marshes send their sheep away on holiday for the winter so we were having a lot of sheep up from the romney marshes um, over winter and from down from wales um and yeah and sort of did that and during that period my sheep sort of built up as they do so you know 120 i brought down 200 300 400 600 as they do and before i knew it i was running you know a decent sized flock on my own um and it got to the point where tim sort of said like why don't we sell my sheep and you can just move your sheep in to okay. Kingsclear." so mine just came on to Kingsclear, and that was good and we kind of like it wasn't a long-term thing because the dairy there's like a mobile dairy there that was always yeah. going to be the, the thing that grew so when i first came there was no dairy we just had beef cattle and sheep and then slowly the sort of the dairy developed so and then I think we're back up to where we were then. And then we moved next door onto this place, Ewhurst um, Park, um, which is now owned by a 37-year-old Malaysian uh, model from London. And then that led to them deciding to rewild it. We got given our marching orders. So we lambed April into May, had 1,200 ewes there um, with all the lambs. Had a hell of a scam, so had a lot of lambs. And had to move them all in June. Um, so that was fun. So loading lorries with like ewes with lambs at foot um had to get them somewhere Goodness. was gonna sell them but then got offered an opportunity someone in shropshire had lost staff they had sold some sheep they had about four and a half thousand ewes of their own um and basically they were like you can come bring your sheep up for the for the hopefully longer term but we'll see you know summer at least come and help me with my sheep so we moved them all up there i've moved i spent the last sort of since june so about six months almost in a caravan uh, in a valley in Shropshire with no phone signal, no internet, <laughs> lots of sheep. Been very lucky. I've kind of relied on the kindness of strangers. Um, a few people have come out of the woodwork uh, through various things, a couple of the farming forum, um, one through an advert in the Farmers Weekly, and then other things just through personal connections and conversations. Um, and so that's kind of like where we are now. We've had sheep sort of spread all over the world it feels like um i think i said to you earlier on the last four months i've done twelve thousand miles yeah. in a Vauxhall astra that is mad which is i keep telling people it's the equivalent of driving london to sydney or just slightly further now actually um yeah. what do you what do you do during that so do, do you listen to music podcasts what, what, what do you I, actually or do you just I'm think or actually um technologically capable enough to to uh manage to figure out how to listen to podcasts in my car <laughs> So I listen to I listen to music yep. um, and talk to the dogs. Um, nice and think and do a lot of thinking um, and then speak to people. Like people are always like, "You're always calling us when you're driving." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, it's a One, great time." Do- yeah, I always yeah. do that. It's a great time to speak to people for you anyway, not necessarily yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always driving, and also like it's my only dead time. So yeah, yeah so I do a fair bit of bit of that. Um, and generally people know when I'm in Shropshire because they can't get hold of me. It's like I fall into the black hole. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we sort of did that and then and then sort of sheep are everywhere. And I'm back in Hampshire. So I had a house in Hampshire the whole time, which was a very expensive um postal address. 
but yeah that's where I'm I'm back today so I'm here and then so yeah so that's kind of that's brought us up to now I suppose yeah so and and I'm at a, a little bit of a crossroads because as I said you know currently I have no ground past the end of March so I have wow. nowhere to land these sheep so I've got until then to find some ground hence my trip this week across to Essex yeah so a chunk of grazing I want to look up there in all honesty, if I don't find any grazing, I mean, it'd be nice. It'd be really nice if it was in and around Hampshire because I actually quite like living here. If I don't find any grazing, I'll probably sell the sheep. I've sold some, sold a, sold a bunch of ewes. Um, and whether I do something kind of very different, um, possibly go to Australia or New Zealand, that's on the cards. I, I love this. I, lo- I love it. It's like sort of, that's completely down to your mindset of, well... If it happens, it happens. Then go do something else. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'd love this stuff. I'd love, you know, I'd, wouldn't be a bad thing. New Zealand, Australia. Also, there is a really exciting. There's a guy doing some really exciting things in Germany, farming a guy called Wolfgang, uh, farming sheep there. And I've been kind of badgering him over Instagram to be like, "Can I come have a look? Can I come have a look?" <laughs> and I know they have issues with staff, so there's okay. G- Germany's another option, or just stay here and you know. But I kind of normally right when you think that you're in the shit something comes up so you know some ground comes up and then also rob and joe who i was talking to earlier on i mean they'd like me to do more work for them i get offered quite a lot of work from people um because people can't get decent staff so there's always options so i won't you know i wouldn't i wouldn't go out of farming someone turned around to me in the pub the other day and went james you're just gonna have to accept it you're stuck in farming now like this is what you (laughs) this is what you do like none of this like oh i might do something completely different like no you will do a variation on the theme you might go somewhere different you might do something slightly different but you will be farming and it will probably be sheep because you've got loads of sheep dogs so um and that's the that's the issue like I am, you know, I am a shepherd. I yeah, have sheepdogs. That is, is, what that is do. literally what you do. It's um, but, but I mean, with that, I mean, do you have any big future plans or goals or anything, or are you very, very much just quite happy just to keep on just well, going? I'll tell you what. Like someone asked me the other day, and I, you know, what do I want to do? Like, what do I want to get out of life? Like, what do I want to achieve? Yeah. What do I want to be? And I sort of said, like, do you know, such what? a hard question. And I haven't, like, I've spent so much of my recent few years of life having to deal with a problem that's directly in front of me. Yeah. So like not thinking about what I want to do, but having to think about what I have to do to try and get myself out of this hole or yeah. get this problem, you know, to get over this, this, this roadblock, whatever. And that's kind of become my life is reacting to problems and just getting through stuff. The next thing yeah. on this kind of journey to do. And I mean, I'd love to have a family, kids. I'm 30, I'm 38 in March. You know, I've got no partner. I've got no children. I don't know if it doesn't happen anytime soon, whether that's, you know, that's going to happen. So, yeah. So I don't know, you know, I will suck it and see a little bit. Like I kind of, I do tend to, I do have a plan. Like I'd love to own a farm, you know, I'd love to yeah, have a farm. Of you know, everyone would, it'd be amazing. I'd love to have a secure tenancy somewhere. It's difficult because the tenancies you do see are often small acreages in yeah. very established farming areas where you'd go up and you'd suddenly be like farming 150 acres. Yeah not able to make a living um, so <laughs> it's, it's true right, though isn't it yeah yeah paying an extortionately high rent yeah. so you're like might be better off if i could get like a secure block of grazing somewhere and you know just kind of carry on and i don't know i don't know develop the consultancy thing a bit but mm. um i just like adventures you know it wouldn't take an awful lot if i did sell a sheep for someone to be like do you want to go to the non territories australian <laughs> ranch cattle do you want to ranch cattle do you want to go to like wyoming and become a cowboy then i'd be like <laughs> Um, and the only thing that really keeps me here is obviously the sheep, but the dogs. So I've yeah. got, I've got 14 dogs. 14? Unless, unless you rent me a house and I've only got six. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're my letting agent. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming my letting agent probably isn't listening to this. If they are, probably they, don't live, they don't live here. My name is not James. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have 14 dogs. But um, yeah, I've got 14 dogs. So wow. that's kind of a fairly big tie. I say about not having kids. Um you know, that kind of means I that I can't just bugger off. Yeah, that is a bit of a tie. Um, yeah. Uh, where are we going next? Uh, let's go back to sort of the whole new entrant thing, um, in inverse commas. I mean, you are, you come across as a pretty, pretty open guy, pretty friendly guy. Um, yeah. How, how would you say, and, I, and I'm guessing you get on pretty well with most people you meet, how welcoming you would you say the industry is generally? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that about me getting on well with most people I meet. 
that it, some and some like unfortunately i am a pretty open guy and yeah. that does create its own problems so yeah. you know i am quite friendly and i do get on with most people but i have a habit of sort of how i see it anyway being honest speaking the truth yeah which doesn't always go down very well funny enough it tends to go down better with the farming community than it does with the rest of the new entrants yeah um, i can see that actually yeah you know people appreciate kind of straightness and so if I'm totally honest, the biggest difficulties I've had have been access to ground and security of tenure. Yep. So, you know, and, and most of that hasn't, you know, we live in the land of the landowner here, not the farmer. So back yep. home in Wales, farms are owned by farmers. You work for farmers. Down here, you work for merchant bankers from London who own a large estate. Yep. You work for a model who owns a large estate, you know, whatever. Tim may be in one of the unusual ones where Tim's a farmer. And I think yep. that's probably what we've got on. So, being totally honest, people keep talking about how hard it is to get into farming, especially sheep farming. And I'm going to kind of call bollocks on that one. Um, <laughs> it's not hard to get into farming at all. It's hard to be good at it. And it's hard to progress. Like roots of progression is the biggest difficulty. But I mean, there are like, there are loads of like keen young people getting into it and doing amazing things. Um, building a successful business that means that you can, like you're making money and you're doing well, that's quite hard. Um, and routes to progression to build your own business, that again is quite hard. Um, and I've like, I've always found people really welcoming. I mean, I'm six foot three, 38 year old man with a beard and dreadlocks um, <laughs> who's quite outspoken. Like, I'm not like, you know, the average farmer, some of the people I meet, you know, I went out to take these sheep up to Lincolnshire to keep to the first place. And the guy's got to be late 60s, 70, something like that. Yeah. I might have just done him a disservice, but I'm pretty sure. And him and his wife, you know, I got out of, I got out of a Vo I drove, I appeared in a Vauxhall Astra estate. Yeah. Fell out of my Vauxhall Astra estate <laughs> with a load of dogs, dreadlocks, blah, blah. <laughs> and the guy did not even call it. He just was like, cool, follow me and I'll come and show you that. And we just looked at grass, turnips, yeah. you know, cover crops. And, you know, I went up to see, I went up to see this other, this other chat with the other, funny enough, also in Lincolnshire. You know, a younger chap in his 20s, um, farming, you know, traditional farming family. You know, we sat on the, on the patio, mum brought out homemade biscuits and a cup of tea. Nice. And again, they did not, like, oh. Vauxhall Astro State pulls up and a head full of dreadlocks sticks out the window. And, Hello! <laughs> um, and didn't bat an eyelid. And I've actually found, like, a lot of the time with a lot of new entrants, they've got quite a chip on their shoulder about established farmers. Uh, and actually, most people were like, I know sheep, like I'm a sheep geek, I'm a sheep obsessive. I know quite a lot about sheep and I, and I know dogs, I like dogs. And like, you know, most of the time you're a five, five minute check. Of course you get, you get arseholes and everything who yeah. just judge you and not like you. But I found the majority of people super friendly, super like keen to give you a hand, help you. You know, I've been lent kit um given advice like you know just just helped in so many ways by people um that have like genuinely wanted to see me get on and yeah. it's all i think they everyone like appreciates an attitude of like trying to make your way trying to make it work grafting the stumbling block comes when you know trying to progress and build a larger business like a, you know that's what's harder but there are like, I mean, I could give you five, 10 different really cool operations who currently have no staff and are screaming out for staff. Yeah. Um, and the kind of people that, that come to be, you know, apply for it are like pretty embarrassing. Like, and there are definitely people out there who are better, but don't apply. And I think there's a lot of people, like I see on Instagram, there's a lot of people who would rather farm a couple of hundred sheep of their own at a loss and not yes. get anywhere than go to work with somebody or for somebody who's got two, 3,000 ewes, a great yeah. operation where they could grow and develop. And there probably would be room to get skin in the game. Mm. Um, Rob and Joe were talking about earlier on, you know, they've got an amazing operation. They've got 2,000 odd Romney ewes, like, you know, important genetics from New Zealand, really cool stuff, loads of recording, like really interesting. Yeah, but issues with stuff. Yeah, massive yeah. issues with staff. And the issues with staff, you know, like they're the sort of people, they've got dairy, they've got this, they've got arable. You know, they're the sort of people that if you went to work for them as a shepherd, you'd be able to get skin in the game. You know, they'd, they'd happily probably involve you in a profit share and stuff like that. And, yeah. and the other thing I think as well is that um, the land of the sheep has always traditionally been like Wales, the Midlands, the north mm. of England. And it's moving. Like if you want to develop yourself with sheep now, you've got to go east really, I would think. Eastern counties, all those arable farms, like the whole yeah. thing with elms changing is maybe yep. put a slight kibosh on that. But mm. 
there are cover crops. There are shitloads of cover crops in the eastern counties. That's the way to do it. You know, don't worry for a minute about trying to get a tenancy somewhere in the country. Like you've got cover crops outside your window. You can get electric fencing. You can take, you know, you can you can build your business, build your skills, build your reputation that as a new entrant. You need to do, you know, you need to take opportunities anywhere to to work with people, work for people, build your skills, build your knowledge, you know, even just build up capital. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I started, I was winding electric fence wire around a stick um, to, to, to pick it up and to put it out. You know, I was like, it was, it was rough, like really rough. I didn't have enough electric fencing to fence all the fields. So I was having to do it. It was just, it was just shit. Um, and, you know, now we kind of, we own, you know, a couple of quad bikes, winder, rapid trailer, about a million miles of electric fencing. We could probably fence the moon. And it's just, but it's just come through doing work for other people exactly. time yeah, yeah yeah time building up capital building up things and that's you know that's i actually think as a new entrant like if you do that and you do it the right way like there's always opportunities i i drive around and see opportunities everywhere but yeah so i think actually you know it's a pretty welcoming place agriculture like it's it's just it's like there are a lot of stumbling blocks there are a lot of like roadblocks there are a lot of things that are hard but you sometimes just need to like just suck it up and just prove people wrong. Um, and I think as a new entrant, as a woman in ag, as a whatever, you can let yourself get defeated by it and get really despondent and really down. Um, but just but, focus on what you can do. Yeah, yeah. Focus on what you can do, the stuff you can change, the stuff you can develop. And then, it, you know, it will usually fall into place. Like eventually it will fall into place, you know? Yeah. And we can kind of move on to something else. But I was going to say every new entrant that I speak to, if I could tell them to, to read one thing, it would be there is a Nuffield scholarship by a guy called Michael Blanche called The Farming Ladder. If you Google Michael Blanche Nuffield scholarship farming ladder, it will come up. Any new entrant should read it. And if you don't read the whole thing, read the introduction where he talks about being a new entrant in farming. And his Nuffield scholarship is about what happens after entry how after you get into the industry by going to buy 20 sheep or whatever taking a job somewhere how you manage to like build a business and a sustainable business and how you manage to get ahead and how hard it is and the challenges and he talks about the fact that if you want to get ahead you've got to be top five percent yeah and interestingly he travels around the world and it's something he notices i think is that in britain we're very like it's not fair we can't get ahead <laughs> and actually a lot of the rest of the world they don't expect it to be fair so they just get on and crack on but having said that as a caveat you know you go to new zealand you've got share milking models you've got a lot of countries you've got places where you can go in there with a dog and a stick into someone else's business and there's a direct route for progression to build your business okay your own business within it we don't have that in the uk we've had like flirtatious kind of share farming models but all of them are because of our taxation system you know yeah. why does a bigger state go in a share farming model with someone like me because if they're the active farmer they get the subs if on paper they're in a share farming deal with me, they're the active farmer, aren't they? So they get the subs. So they're a little bit, they looked initially when they first started coming out, like they were going to be a great kind of deal, but they're not. And that's something, that is something in British farming we need to address. We need to make it not any easier for people to get in, but for those people who've got in, we need to make it, there needs to be a, some form of clear route of progression because otherwise people like myself um, and lots of the other people, we're going to go overseas we're going to go overseas or into other industries. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that's, that's the kind of worry in, in British ag is we're going to become a very large park for the greater public good um, with lots of very inefficient traditional farming practices. And a lot of the like very young, hopeful people want to get in because it seems nice to have 12 herdwicks up a hill in Cumbria. Um, and actually the people who would advance and take on the industry to be a sustainable, profitable kind of, successful long-term thing will just leave the industry or go overseas so wow so with, with that in mind we are going to start to wrap this up that I've, I've, I've loved i've loved listening to you um we always finish the show with the same two questions which we're going to do now the first is james if you have a message for the public any message what would it be i think to just you know we're a tiny little island and we're a very rural farming island despite despite kind of you know what most people kind of see out the window and i think we have amazing produce like we have truly amazing produce here sort of produced by pretty amazing passionate people um and i don't think like everyone should have to buy british like i'm not saying that's a free choice but i think they should at least 
try it, consider it, try it because you know you go and buy and eat seasonal local produce. Just try it once or twice, you know what I mean? And you will generally always come to the same thing. It's good. It's really good. You know, seasonal lamb is really good. And, and, and British beef is really good. And all the vegetables we have and the fruit and our ciders and our beers. And, our, you know, we like, we make some really good food. Obviously, the problem is a lot of people, you know, there's economic barriers to that. Um, but I think if possible, you know, eat kind of locally, eat seasonally. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way. And just also kind of realize that farmers aren't bad people. Like most farmers just want to kind of like do their thing, produce food and, you know, indulge their kind of passions, which is usually doing their thing and producing food. Um, and actually, you know, go and talk to people, go and talk to a farmer. If you're not sure, if you think maybe we're like evil bad people um <laughs> destroying the world just go and talk to somebody like most of them are pretty approachable you know you can go to a livestock market you don't have to be a farmer you can go to an ag show you can go and like knock on the door of your local farm you know if you're not sure about these people and you think they might be slightly funny dodgy people yeah go and say hello like we don't bite we're, we're quite nice you know um, and listen to stuff like these podcasts and you know just just like educate yourself a little bit and finally your message to farmers don't give up don't give up like it you know it might not always be the easiest and you might not always get to where you think you were going to get but the journey and the kind of like adventure along the way it kind of makes up for that you know it's an amazing industry really like when you say we're very good at being depressed and down and negative <laughs> about it it's kind of what we do as british people we're so bloody miserable sometimes oh yeah and actually like look outside the window we live in some of the most beautiful parts of the world you know most farmers are blessed with what they get like you go and live in like you know uh, a housing estate in the middle of like a lot of our major cities and towns you know what i mean and like you go and then live like where most of most farmers live and spend their day we yeah. are so lucky and so blessed i think cheer up a little bit yeah enjoy what you're doing um and that kind of that kind of carries through that and infects other people do you know what i mean be yeah. positive enjoy be kind of you know and just strive to be the best you can be someone said to me to do less than all you could would be a waste and i think there's that you know it's like get up in the morning put your best foot forwards have a good go and enjoy the adventure i like that yeah yeah that's a great point to end it on i think wow james thank you so much for coming on it's um yeah it's been it's been a pleasure meeting you and also i mean just good luck i suppose um for, for the next stage but even if yeah even, even if you do end up selling your sheep which i really hope you don't I, yeah i mean that even that could be just a great adventure whatever yeah. whatever you're going to next yeah i think that's exactly it like life is life's always an adventure isn't it so on to the next one but hopefully yeah. i think i have a i have a funny feeling that it'll work out <laughs> it usually does in the end yeah, well, that's that's what I, I genuinely love about your attitude. That's that, that's one thing I've taken personally from this conversation for sure. Is yeah, just that brilliant attitude you have that it will be what it will be. That's that, that's certainly how it's coming across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you uh, it's again, you know, full of the quotes. But you know, someone said you can't do a lot about what happens to you, mm. but you can do plenty about how you deal with it. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. I think that in farming, I think that's probably a salient message in farming as well for farmers. We can't do anything. We had a drought. We lamb sheep outside during the beast in the east, like stuff yeah. like that. You can't affect, you know what I mean, lamb prices going down, you yeah. know, whatever. But you can affect how you, you know, how you deal with it, your mindset and how you kind of project that to the people around you and, and stuff. So, yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. Is That's great. Um, if anyone isn't already, I'm sure lots of them will be, but how do they follow you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at really catchly. I think it's at JJ Livestock UK. UK, I think it is, yeah. Um, and I basically only really use Instagram. I, I'm not trying to save the world or educate people or anything else of like that. I just put videos of my dogs yeah. chasing sheep with music behind them. That's kind of my thing. My, my USP is silly videos of my dogs. And like my dogs are like my whole kind of world, um, really. And yeah, so the videos of dogs and sheep to music is kind of like <laughs> what I'm giving the world through social media. Yeah. So yeah. You're many, um, many dogs. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unless you're my letting agent. It's only six, definitely. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs>
episodes. That's yeah. it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show uh, wherever you're listening. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon. Uh, that's by visiting patreon.com forward slash meet the farmers. Uh, next time, I will be speaking to Cambridgeshire farmer Toby Simpson uh, for International Leadership Week. And on our sister podcast, Rural Business Focus this week, uh, we're talking about virtual assistance. Um, I'm not sure how many of you that will impact, but um, go over and listen to that if, if that's of interest. Um, I hope you can join me next time. I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you all have a great week.